four, three, two, one. Hello, Michael. <laughs> Welcome. Thanks, man. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for coming in. 100%, man. Uh, if people don't know the story, we'll give them the brief synopsis. I found out about your story online because there was this viral thing that was going on about a chef who was getting protested by a bunch of animal rights activists and vegans who decided to camp out in front of your business and try to, uh, the restaurant called Antler in Toronto, try to, I don't know what the fuck they were trying to do, but you decided to butcher uh, a leg of deer in front of them, and it became this horrific thing, like how could you do that in a place that serves meat, how could you prepare the meat right in front of them? Like. How did this all get started? <laughs> How did it become such a crazy viral story? And why why were they mad at you when there's a million other restaurants around you? All right, so it started in about December. About of, uh, about clue number one, <laughs> possibly Canadian. Canadian, the crazy Canadian. Besides being um, nice, <laughs> well, that's why I went viral because I wasn't being nice. I wasn't the stereotypical uh, Canadian. No, um, well, you weren't even being mean. You were just doing no, your job and doing front my of them. thing. So they started in December, and they Try really to keep this right in front of your all right. face. So they they really got pissed off with our. We have a little chalkboard sign out front. Um, I'll give you the comp. We have a 45 seat restaurant. So we're a small, uh, have one business partner who's a, a, my best friend and family friend. And um, we had a little chalkboard sign out front that said, Venison is the new kale. And, you know, we get cute with our sign. We, we tease other restaurants around us. Like we have fun with the sign. And it's fun. And uh, the cyclist vegan uh, rode by and took huge offense to our sign. And all of a sudden, one day, these protesters just showed up. So, um, Originally, I was just kind of frustrated because they're totally misguided because um, we take a lot of pride in where our food comes from. Uh, we have vegan and vegetarian dishes on the menu, uh, and I, I really respect that type of diet. So we were just totally floored with why this was happening. And um, so this started to go on. They started to come every week, and they went from like two or three people being kind of peaceful to being like 10, 15 people, not so peaceful. So uh, it's when it turned not so peaceful, they were shouting at our, at our guests and shouting in our door and really trying to harm our business that uh, I just kind of got fed up last resort, went down. We get a whole deer uh, a couple times a month and we, we butcher it ourselves. And uh, I just said, screw it, screw it. I'm like, I'm gonna get these people to get out of here. So I thought that that would make them go away. <laughs> How did you think that was gonna make them go away and not escalate it? Uh, I don't know. I was, it was just totally like last resort, uh, totally fed up. Um, I wanted to defend myself, defend our customers. You know, you could see people walking in visibly upset. Yeah. Um, you know, they're being shouted at, being screamed at, called a murderer as they're walking in for dinner. Like you're going on a date, you want to have yeah. this time and then people are screaming at you, uh, you know, just for eating. So, uh, I was just fed up and I just kind of thought like, you know, buzz off. And why, so just one sign. Venison is the new kale. One yeah. sign. Set this whole thing off. <laughs> yeah. And you're surrounded by restaurants. I mean, I know where you are. So we're, so we're surrounded we're by restaurants. Toronto. There's, there's an actual butcher shop across the street. And if you go in, there's like whole cattle hanging. That's okay. In their butcher shop. But yeah. you're a problem with your comparison to kale. You attack their sacred kale. <laughs> God. We're promoting uh, meat. I, I don't know. 
That's totally what it bizarre. is? Totally bizarre. Because you were promoting it? We were promoting it. Or, on the or, sign. Uh, yeah. So no if idea. you just didn't promote anything, yeah. and they were allowed to cycle by and dream of broccoli yeah. without any <laughs> interference. <laughs> yeah, man. I have no how idea. It's totally bizarre. They, I'm sorry. How many times did they protest you? Um, I think it's about eight now. Eight. They're coming weekly. They still do. They still do. There's one this Friday. Oh, Jesus. So yeah. they organize them. They, they organize <laughs> them. There's like Facebook groups. There's uh they're, they're basically giving us an ultimatum. We have to put their slogan in our window, and they'll go away. But, what? Yeah. <laughs> What's their slogan? Um, we are cunts? <laughs> there's, there's like, I, I can't remember it, you know, word for word, but it's, you know, like, killing animals is wrong. They have feelings. You what? Know, yeah. Do you have to put that in your window? Well, we don't, we're not going to. There's but, no way. But that's Absolutely. what they want. That's what they want, yeah. That's so it's, hilarious. It's like eco, terrorism, extortion, whatever you want to call it. Wow. Well, the part, the part of this that drives me the most crazy is the fact that you're surrounded by restaurants. We're surrounded by restaurants. You're surrounded by, like you said, you're across the street from a butcher shop. 97% of the people in the world eat meat. It's something, something crazy like that. I mean, I'm sure everyone hasn't really been polled. I'm sure it's not that accurate. But it's somewhere between 95 and 97. It's, it's big. It's big. And I think, you know, we're an easy target. You know, our name is Antler. We were, I think they're mad because, um, you know, their, their thing is that we're promoting ethical farming. And their beliefs is there is no such thing as ethical farming, right. that, that all meat is murder. And, um, you know, if you look up murder in the dictionary, it has to do with humans. You know, mm-hmm. it has nothing to do with animals. And, um, there is such a thing as ethical farming and sustainable farming, and we work really hard to make sure that where we get our meat from is uh, from the best possible place we can, and it's local. So it's supporting our local farmers that are you know within hours of our restaurant. Now, when you say that they started out nice, like how many people were there in the beginning? Two, three, four. And they had and they signs? They had signs, and they were just kind of... You know, promoting their message, but they weren't really yelling and screaming. And what escalated it? Um, so we would call the police. We we kind of got wind of it on their Facebook groups. So we would call the police and have the police there to make sure everyone's safe. Because one thing, like customers are scared, our staff are scared. Like no one's dealt with this before. I've never dealt with this before. Um, so we would have the police there. You know, they were the police were amazing. Um, and then, you know, one time we kind of thought, okay, let's not call the police. Let's see what happens. Like maybe they'll just, they'll go away. And, uh, so then like a megaphone came out, uh, our neighbors were coming down and getting in fights with them and it was, it was ugly. So we called the police to come and Jesus you know, Christ. keep the peace. Yeah. A megaphone. Yeah. <sighs> Part of the problem with these kind of things is it becomes a contest, it becomes uh, a battle, you know, trying to see who's going to win. Mm-hmm. And they're absolutely on a team. I mean, this the, that's one of the things that happens with veganism. And I think it happens with hunters, too. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, people become very tribal. Yeah. You know, and, you know, it's us versus them. And they want to win. And then it becomes this thing where, uh, you know, look, the reality is a lot of people are idiots. And <laughs> they don't have a lot going on in their life. And so when something comes up where it becomes a, a primary focus of their life, one restaurant, as illogical as it might be, that becomes the battleground. And it's an ideological battleground for, you know, don't eat meat ever versus sustainable farming. You know, this, the, look, I'm sure, I know you're a hunter. I'm sure you feel a certain amount of remorse when an animal dies. 
hundred percent. And you know, that's a big part of sort of my beliefs and my philosophy and uh, why I'm working on this cookbook right now is because uh, I think that, you know, if you do eat meat, you should be able to kill an animal and experience that. And I, I think that if, if people were to actually kill an animal, they would see, you know, what goes into that. And I don't think people would consume as much meat. And I don't think people would definitely, you know, they certainly wouldn't waste as much meat um, as they do. And it's, it's just really upsetting. And I think it's totally misguided, you know, why we were targeted. Well, I mean, like I said, I think it just becomes a game. Yeah. It becomes a, the big tribal game. You know, there's, there's a real argument, a real argument that I support against factory farming. And factory farming is the way most people are getting their meat in terms of like, <clears throat> in terms of like cheeseburgers and fast food and stuff along those lines. I mean, you're not getting it from the most ethical sources. It's just, it's not financially sustainable to do it that way. Everything would cost more money. Yeah. And uh, that's a real problem that we, as a society, it's not obviously not you or I that mm-hmm. has set up this system, but that this system is a system that we find ourselves a part of. Mm-hmm. It's a real problem. I've removed myself from it for the most part, but occasionally I'm on the road and I'm hungry and you know I'll, I'll eat some meat that's just whatever. Totally. It's I, it's a necessary evil, you know, in, sort of. I sort mean, it's of, not but really necessary. It's not really necessary at all that maybe that's the wrong way to describe it, but it, it's how the system's been set up and it's it's actually why I started hunting and and doing what I do because I watched these documentaries like Food Inc and these things that kind of shone a light on, you know, the system and mm-hmm. how this stuff is actually being produced and it's horrible. It's uh it's it terrifying. Really is. Yeah, that, and I think that's the real number one problem. And, you know, and this vegan activist message to go after, you know, these types of farming, you know, we support as well. And we agree with. So mm-hmm. the fact that we were targeted for this um, was really, really frustrating. Yeah, I think vegans, um, I understand where they're coming from, but I don't think that they have seen the big picture. And the big picture is there's some animals that need to be harvested. They, they're not sustainable. Wild pigs is the best example. Yeah. There, there is no way you are going to stop wild pigs without killing them. No. There's no way. You're not going to give them birth control. You're not going to, unless you're going to let loose fucking packs of wolves. And I mean packs to deal with like what's going on in Texas. I mean, they, they're forced to shoot them out of helicopters. They hire- no, it's crazy. They hire people to come in with helicopters and shoot them from the sky. It's that bad. And this is farmers. Yeah. There's companies called Hella Hunting. Where <laughs> That's being, crazy. They have it on the side. like They have a wild boar and a fucking helicopter blade on their logo. It's crazy. <laughs> they have to do it. Yeah, no, and I, I, don't, I don't have a lot of experience with that because where I am, we don't have that wild boar problem. But uh, I, I hunt with these guys from, from Mossy Oak, and I've gone down there and done one of these pig hunts and mm. they've shown me their fields and like one third of their cornfield is just destroyed destroyed and they have to hunt them at night or they hunt them uh, with dogs and uh, it's a huge problem for farmers trying to make a living it is a huge problem and vegans themselves need to understand that's your food supply totally. you're, you're not growing your own food mostly most people listening to this that are vegan are not yeah. growing their own food you're getting your own food from a farm that farm is being attacked by pigs that's only one animal Another one is deer. I mean, there's a shitload of deer in North America. What's interesting is California has a very weird way of handling it, and I kind of get it in some ways. The weird way that we handle it in California is we don't hunt mountain lions. Okay. There's no mountain lion hunting. This is very few deer. Yeah. I mean, I see deer in my neighborhood. You know, I, I live in a fairly rural area. Yeah. I see deer, you know, 
couple times a week, but it's nothing like if you go to the East Coast. Have you ever been in the East Coast of California or of uh, uh, the United States, like New York State, that kind of area? I've been New York City. Yeah, I've been to the the, the East Coast now. The state. If you go upstate like New York State. Yeah. There's so many fucking deer up there. It's one of the reasons why Lyme disease is so horrible up there. It comes from the ticks that were on the deer. Yeah. And people get these terrible, terrible cases of Lyme disease. And it's fucking everywhere up there, man. I have several friends that have really bad Lyme disease. Yeah, it's they horrible. Have to take, um, go to Jim Miller's Instagram. Jim Miller is a fighter in the UFC, uh, high-level fighter who's been competing at the highest level for a long time and he has serious Lyme disease to the point where it's like debilitated him. it's he, scary he has to take a fat bag of pills and he held up his pills the other day what he takes while he's look at that this is what he takes while he's in training camp that's insane 19 days of medication and supplements he said <laughs> he said fuckly me <laughs> 31 <laughs> capsules a day that's you do brutal. the math remember the carry to seven uh, and it just says Lyme disease um, is one of the hashtags. Yeah, he's got it really bad. And I mean, what's crazy is the guy could not be healthier, works out constantly, eats right. He's not boozing. His body's just falling apart because of fucking Lyme disease. And, yeah. and it's being carried by these, these deer. Overpopulation of wild animals is handled in one of two ways. Either you introduce predators or you manage them with hunting. Um, there's a place in Ma in Maui where they are um, the at Maui has no predators you know and but they also have a bunch of wild game that was brought in for King Kamehameha I think it was in the 1800s they brought it in um, I'm not sure when but there's tons of axis deer on on Maui and on Lanai and on Molokai and a couple of different islands and uh, one of the things they've started doing is they were trying to figure out how to eradicate them from this area. So a bunch of hunters got together, and they're hunting these axis deer and then giving the meat to poor people, like making it free for them. Yeah. And it's a, it's a really cool program, but that's another sort of situation where you kind of have to hunt. Yeah. There's no other, unless you're just going to poison them, or you're going to somehow or another capture them all and neuter and spay a certain amount of them every month. There's really no other way to handle it. Yeah, and I think that's it's a big misconception. Like people that don't educate themselves about hunting, they're just like, hunting is bad, killing animals is bad, and they get on this bandwagon, but they don't have enough information about it. Yeah. Um, and I think people confuse trophy hunting, you know, with like they see Cecil the lion and right. everyone goes after, okay, it's hunting is the is the problem. But, you know, trophy hunting is the problem, but uh, hunters that, that hunt for food uh, and that hunt to, you know, help the uh, – the sort of environmental impacts that they're having, like people don't, like snow geese. I don't know if you know much about oh, snow I do. geese, yeah. but like I read that article that you retweeted, actually. Yeah, they like a Nat Geo article that I that I posted. You know, these birds fly in flocks of like twenty, thirty thousand birds, and they land in a farmer's field and they eat everything, everything, and they destroy it. And you know, like ten, fifteen years ago, these populations of birds they weren't like they are now. So. Mm -hmm. Um, well, large-scale agriculture is also responsible for the boom in the population of, of deer. Right. You know, deer in, uh, in America, particularly like in the Midwest, 
where all the farms are is what is it a fucking coincidence that there's all the deer <laughs> where all the farms are no it's not yeah. my my good friend Doug Duran he has a, a big ass farm in Wisconsin beautiful place in the driftless area do you know what that is no it's where the the glaciers didn't pass through so okay. it's not flat there's right. all these hills and it's very beautiful and lakes it's mm -hmm. a phenomenal place but essentially He's got the deer that he hunts and that that he and his friends hunt on his property. They're farm animals. They're totally. eating corn. Yeah. <laughs> they're These just eating grain. Things are, I mean, he yeah. grows corn. He's a yeah. farmer. So he grows all this corn. The deer are eating all this corn, and they're fucking delicious, man. <laughs> they're, they're huge. So, they're so huge, <laughs> and they're so, they're so good. But there's a reality to uh, population control. Now, yeah. in Wisconsin, they get it. Because they're around them every day, they're hitting them with their cars. They see them everywhere they look. This, yeah. is, this is not like the, the idealistic view of someone who lives in a city street in Toronto and is driving around on their bike looking for signs that are criticizing kale or whatever the fuck they're doing. <laughs> they're not in the real natural world that these animals exist 100%. in. They don't get it. They don't understand. Uh, you know, they live in their bubble and. You know, another thing they don't understand is that hunters actually, you know, we have to buy tags. We have to buy our licenses. There are rules and laws that we have to follow. And those fees actually pay for the wildlife conservation. And I, I'm yeah. pretty sure it's the same in the States as well, from at least talking to my friends. And It is. You it's know, the Pickman-Robertson Act. It's, and they don't understand. I think understand. it's 11% of all the, the proceeds from hunting gear go to wildlife conservation. And that turns out to be billions and billions of dollars. Uh -huh. It's far more than any other conservation group far more than any wildlife conservation group or animal activist group and no one contributes more to conservation than hunting yeah. no one because we want it we want it to be there for our kids and their kids and it's it's nature it's it's how the world is supposed to be it's also this contradictory thing that seems it seems like it doesn't make sense but we love the wildlife yeah. we love the animals just because you eat them doesn't mean you don't love them but you recognize them as this is a weird way to look at it, but it is a renewable resource. Right. And it is also a magical, beautiful thing. Just because of that doesn't mean you shouldn't eat it. Yeah. I mean, it's this this disconnect that people have with the wild, I think, is a real part of it, a real part of the problem. Good luck finding a vegan in Alaska. You know, there's <laughs> not a whole lot of them that live out in the bush that are vegans. I mean, they're, they're eating they salmon eat? and they're eating... <laughs> I mean, you can... You can bring in vegetables. I mean, right. I'm sure there are some. I'm just talking shit. But the reality is, if you're if you're embedded in that world, mm -hmm. you understand it and you appreciate it. It's, it's very humbling. I mean, yeah. killing an animal is very humbling. I mean, it sounds like to someone who's an animal lover, that sounds fucking crazy. It's hard. It's also really hard. Like when I see a deer come out, I hunt with a with a bow, crossbow, and I see a deer come out. It's I'm trembling. I have the hair on my back is standing up. They're these beautiful, majestic creatures, and I'm going to kill it. And it's it's really, really difficult. And I don't think that people understand that, that don't hunt and that haven't killed an animal. They don't understand the respect and the amount of effort that goes into that. No, they definitely don't. But they don't care. I mean, what they have an idea, and the idea is animals should not die. Yeah. But they're going to die. It's, they're going to die of old age. They're going to die of starvation. They're going to freeze to death. They're going to they're going to be eaten alive. They're going to be eaten alive. And people think that animals they they die peacefully in the wild. It's it's absolutely incorrect. Um, if you you know Google anything um, about how animals die in the wild and they're being eaten alive, like deer are being taken down and eaten alive by wolves or coyotes or whatever it is, or bears, bears, and it's it's horrific. Yeah. And to be shot with an arrow, to be shot with a bullet, it's a, a way more humane way to go, uh, in my in my opinion. 
Oh, it's it's unquestionably a more humane way to go. I mean, it's the, one of the reasons why you know I hunt um, and I practice so much. I practice every day. I have a, one of the reasons why we got this building so I could put a forty-five yard indoor that. archery <laughs> I saw range. That. I want to shoot. You have it. to practice. <laughs> well, we could shoot afterwards, but awesome. you have to fucking practice. Yeah, you, you have to be you have to be able to make an ethical shot, but. Now, when I sit down and I cook something for my family, I know where that came from. Yeah. If we have vegetables that we grew in our garden, there's a great satisfaction for yeah. serving up some cucumbers or some, some kale or whatever it is that we grew in our garden, it too. It tastes better. When you, when you go out there and you cut that cucumber off the plant and you cut that kale down, it is like half an hour old. Yes. You know, and it, it like nothing compares to that freshness that you go to the grocery store that may be a couple of days, a week, a month old. You have no idea. And for me as a chef... Um, that's why I love hunting and foraging and having a garden in my backyard because when you go and pick something, nothing tastes as good as that. Right. Yeah. I mean, I appreciate where vegans and animal rights activists are coming from because it's coming from, I think there, there's a lot of distortion um, with like really angry ones. And, but this is my take on a lot of this. If you get a group of 100 people, one of them for sure is a fucking idiot. Just out of just sheer odds, right? Like, what are the odds one of them is a fucking idiot? It's pretty strong, right? Well, if you're going to get a group of 100 vegans, you're going to get at least one of them that's a fucking idiot. And they're, they're going to be, some of them are violent, some of them are super aggressive about it. I mean, there's a, a ton of them online that you can go, they, their identity is completely wrapped around veganism. They use vegan in their name. It's always, I'm the vegan this or the vegan that. That is 100% of their name. So uh, 100% of their identity. So they can't, they can't separate from it ever. Like that is who they are forever. And they have, there's been some serious problems. What was the name of that cafe again? Uh, cafe Gratitude? Um, there were some people that were running a vegan restaurant. I think they have a couple of them, right, in L.A. And um, they were having health issues. And some people, the vegan diet just doesn't agree with them. Maybe they were doing it wrong. Maybe they... You have unique dietary needs, but they started raising cattle and they started eating those cattle and the fucking vegans freaked out death threats, all this crazy shit coming after them protesting. And, you know, these people were terrified. They're older folks. They're, they're, you know, they're elderly. There it is. Vegan restaurant owners received death threats over animal slaughter scandal. Yeah. I mean, th th this is the bad ones. Yeah. Right, and it's not most of them. Most vegans, I think, are vegans for all the right reasons. Uh, even yeah, and if, if you, they're misinformed, if you choose to to not uh, to not eat meat and and choose that kind of lifestyle, like power to you. That's power to you. it's amazing, and I think that it, it you know if 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 it works for you and your body, that's great. And for me, it, it doesn't work for me. Like. I, I've I've done vegan cleanses. I've done the juice cleanses. I've I've done you know I've gone out for as a chef to vegan restaurants, and I'm not full. You know I'll I'll, I'll eat three or four courses. I'll spend tons of money, and half an hour later I'm starving, starving. And it, it's it, I just I need to eat something with protein, and lots of protein. And it's it's meat or fish or you know I, I've made tofu from scratch from soybeans, and it's just it doesn't it's not the same. Yeah, well, right now people are screaming at their, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> yeah. I, my vegan food is amazing. <laughs> I love it's it. It's the tasty. most delicious. <laughs> but I'm not Some full. of it is. Yeah. Some of it's good. I mean, yeah. I, I eat vegan all the time. I eat, there's a vegan restaurant near me. I go to it all the time. Sometimes I get dirty looks. People are like, oh, this motherfucker's here. <laughs> why are you here? Yeah, why are you here? <laughs> you're not allowed to eat. You're not one of us. You're not allowed to eat our food. Um, it's just, it's very unfortunate that I think these uh, – uh, ideological groups 
get tainted by the most extreme members. And I think that's true on the hunting side, too. And you got guys like fucking Ted Nugent, you know, and all the, the people that I think that they distort the, the real uh, m sort of fascinating and mystical qualities of wildlife and harvesting wildlife and being out there and, and experiencing nature. It's a it's an almost psychedelic experience to 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 hunt and be in the wild. And that sounds so counterintuitive to someone who's never experienced it. Mm -hmm. But the world of these animals, when you're away from your cell phone, when you're away from uh, you know television and all the bullshit and com the computer. When you're, when you're out there in the wild, you are almost in another dimension. If you're in complete silence in the forest and you, your mind goes into a, a completely different sort of mode that is familiar but yet alien. It's familiar in a way that your body's like, oh, this is hunting. This is what humans have done for hundreds of thousands of years. This is why we became human. I mean, this is literally one of the reasons that scientists believe that our brains grew is because we started eating meat, we started cooking meat, the, the nutrition became more accessible, and also we started thinking about how to hunt, developing tools to hunt with. I mean, all of this is the reason why humans are humans today. And I'm sure the vegan argument against that would be, well, that's then, and we're past that now. Well, we're not. No, we're not. We're not because of controlling the population of animals. We're certainly not because of controlling the population of predators. And that's another thing that people need to accept and understand. There's a reason why they eradicated all the wolves in North America before they reintroduced them to Yellowstone, and now they're thriving in many parts of the Northwest. It's because they were fucking killing everything. And there's, they don't have any predators. And the only predators that they have are humans. And if we don't keep the populations in check of them and of grizzly bears, of black bears and all the other predators, they start eating each other. They start tearing each other apart. They start coming after us. They start encroaching on people. Well, we're in their territory. We shouldn't be in their place. We, humans encroach. Well, look, I'm on team people, so I don't know what the fuck you're saying here. Yeah. You know, if you're saying that we should move out of San Francisco and give it to the wolves, you can go fuck yourself. <laughs> all right. And this is literally what it boils down to, because it, you have to draw some line in the sand somewhere. Because if someone doesn't control the population of animals, then what's going to happen? Well, you, know, you can leave them to their own devices, and they can sort of sort it out. But you know how they sort it out? Through disease and starvation. I mean, what happens is there's too many animals and not enough food, so they get horrific diseases. That's where mange comes from. That's where a, a lot of like serious diseases that in, infect wildlife come from. They come from a lack of food or overpopulation. That's how nature sorts it out. You know, and that's how nature sorts it out with people, too. We're just sneaky. We've used vaccines and shit. And We're at the top of the food chain. Yeah. Well, we are. <laughs> we've, we've worked hard to get there. We are. <laughs> and I think we it comes with a certain responsibility, and that responsibility is really... We, we're really doing a disservice to that responsibility with factory farming. And that's the, one of the main arguments for veganism. The, one of the main arguments is the horrific treatment of those animals, whether it's veganism or, 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 or whether it's rather factory farming or whether it's uh, large-scale uh, dairy farms where they mistreat their cows or the chicken farms or all these different factory farms where they treat these animals not as a living being but as a commodity then it becomes a giant problem. But if you look at guys like, do you know who Joel Salatin is? No. Joel Salatin's a, fa a very fascinating guy. He runs a farm called Polyface Farms, and what he has essentially done is made large-scale animal agriculture possible in a humane and very natural way. 
He has enormous electric fences that he uses for his pigs, and he just moves them around, moves the fences around, so the pigs wander around. He has a huge rolling chicken coop. I mean, it's fucking huge. And he pushes that thing around. He moves it to a new space. The chickens go out. They wander around. They're blah, 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 blah. They do their chicken thing, and they go right back into the chicken house. And this is where he gets the eggs from. This is how they raise chickens. This is how they raise cattle. They do it with all these different animals. And his perspective on all this is that if you if you do it right it's not horrific it's not an evil thing and that these animals are living the way they've they're, they're meant to live right and that's one that's one of the, the things that we do at, at antler is to, is to find those farmers and guys like that one of the farms we get our deer from they have a thousand acres the deer roam as they please they're eating nuts and apples and acorns and grass and everything they're supposed to eat uh and then when it's time they're they're collected and harvested and that that is where we get our meat from and and we try really hard not to buy from these factories we don't serve chicken beef or pork we have bison pheasant duck uh wild boar because you know these game farms they don't have these massive large-scale operations and i i buy direct from the farmer and they can tell me what their diet is you know uh their good months their bad months we we know all about these animals that we're bringing to the restaurant and um and you know we're really proud of that. I have an uh, an issue with people that keep saying wild boar. Why right. do they say wild boar when it's wild pig? So uh, the it's, boar it's, is a male. It actually is a different breed. So the 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 pigs that are in these you know factory farms or even regular regular pigs. There's there's to, there's many different breeds and a lot of them are hybrid hybrid um, breeds. The the wild boar breed has long black hair and tusks that actually come out. So um, I can buy whole pigs and they they don't have those tusks. And when I buy the wild boar breed, the meat is darker. Uh, the the hair is black, but we're, we're getting them. You know, there's no hair by the time we get them um, and they've got the tusks uh, in the jaw right but my point is that a boar is a male right you're, you're definitely eating females too that's true yeah so why do they call it a wild boar because it's, it's just a it's style. just a breed yeah it's just a breed yeah but there do you know that they're all the same breed i did not know that they're all <laughs> suscrafa is okay. the 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 i guess the genus is that what yeah. you say um they're all sort of interchangeable. Right. They, well, they all like, breed with each other. I, I do know there's there's tons of different varieties. Like there's the Berkshire, there's Tamworth. There's all these different kinds of breeds, sure. breeds they, of hogs. There's variations. Yeah. But they're all the same animal. What's gotcha. crazy about wild pigs is if yeah. you took a domestic pig, or, mm-hmm. you know, like Babe, yeah, release Babe out into the forest, they morph. Right. Like with a very short amount of time, their snout extends, their hair becomes darker and thicker, their tusks lengthen. Interesting. It's very weird. They're a weird animal. Pigs are a weird animal. Because they're they're when, a weird, weird animal. When they're domestic, they're sweethearts. Yeah. I mean, unless you fall in their cage when they're hungry and they fucking eat you, which <laughs> is really crazy. <laughs> it's one of the main ways that farmers die. Fall into cages that's, and get eaten by that's pigs. That's gruesome. Happens all the time. It does. It happens every year. <laughs> Guy will fuck up and fall into a pig pen, and the pigs just fuck him up. That's crazy. Yeah, especially if you're, um, you know, you're dealing with those really enormous pigs. I mean, those pigs need a lot of food, and they're fucking big. Yeah. And once they start chewing you, that's your ass. <laughs> and they just decide. <laughs> Man, now, have you been pig hunting? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I've been pig hunting. I've shot a couple of pigs. Yeah. The meat is definitely different. It's, it's a, a lot darker. Darker. Yeah. yeah. It's delicious though. Yeah. And um, where I do it, what's really interesting is uh, in California, a lot of the pigs were introduced by William Randolph Hearst. 
that crazy asshole that uh, ran, you know, from the movie Citizen Kane, the okay. Orson Welles depiction of him. He's yeah. this crazy guy that ran Hearst Publications in the 1930s. He's re- literally one of the reasons why marijuana is illegal. Right. William Randolph Hearst decided that when there was a cover of, uh, I believe it was Popular Science Magazine that said, hemp is the new billion dollar crop. And they were they had invented a machine called a decorticator. And what a decorticator does is it effectively processes hemp fiber um, much more efficiently. And for the longest time, they used slaves to process hemp fiber. But then Eli Whitney came around with the cotton gin, and they switched from hemp clothing to cotton. Cotton is easier to produce with the cotton gin, but is just an inferior cloth. Hemp makes better paper. Uh, hemp makes cloth. You can make houses with it. Henry Ford made the first fenders for the first Model T out of hemp. I mean, hemp's a crazy thing. William Randolph Hearst read this article, saw what was coming, and realized that he was going to have to transition all of his paper mills. And he owned forests that they would cut down the trees and make paper with. They would have to transition those to hemp if people were demanding hemp. So instead, he undercut the entire industry by saying that there was a new drug that blacks and Mexicans were smoking and they were raping white women. And he called this drug marijuana, which was really just the name of them. It was a Mexican slang for wild tobacco. So he started printing these stories. Congress made it illegal. They didn't even, a lot of people that were voting on it didn't even know that they were making cannabis or like hemp, the, 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 the textile and the commodity hemp. They didn't know they were making it illegal. They thought they were stopping a drug scourge that was forcing blacks and Mexicans to rape white women. It was all William Randolph Hearst, this one crazy asshole with Harry Anslinger in the fucking 1930s. That's when it became illegal. Well, this same crazy asshole let a bunch of wild pigs loose on his property so he can hunt them because he was a gentleman hunter. (laughs) So the the pigs that I hunt in California when I go pig hunting probably are direct descendants from the pigs that were let loose by this asshole. Yeah, And uh, I think what a lot of people don't understand is how fast they breed. you know, my my friends in Mississippi were telling me, you know, a pig can lay a litter three times a year, four times a year, yep. up to 10, 12 piglets per litter, and they have no natural predators. So what are these farmers going to do when they start decimating their crops? Yeah, they're not a native North American species. No. Yeah, and it's uh, it's one of the most destructive invasive species. And if, you, if you've never seen them before, you see them on TV, they look, you know, oh, it's a pig. Pigs are cute. I've seen, my friend has a pot belly pit. I pet it. That's, that's <laughs> great. What they are as adults when they're wild boars covered in mud and disease, they're fucking a mammal plague. They're vicious. And they, they go through everything. They, yep. they will spread across the country. They'll destroy your garden. They'll, just, they'll eat your dog. I mean, no bullshit. They're fucking yep. dangerous. Yeah, it's a, a crazy lot, animal. A lot of farmers actually ask me if I'll come hunt on their property. Uh, a lot of vineyards will ask me to come in and they have a problem with the turkeys. The turkeys are eating all their grapes. Um, you know, stuff like that. That You know, a lot of these, a, a lot of regular kind of city, people that live in the city, they don't understand. Yeah, the turkey populations in some places are exploding, too, because they've realized, oh, let's just go to the suburbs. Nobody even hunts us. There was one running down the street in Toronto uh, last week. A turkey. People were filming it and sending me the videos. Wow. Yeah. They're delicious, too. Yeah. That's actually the, the first bird I hunted. I didn't actually start hunting until I was in my 20s, and um, I had grown up cooking. Um, I was interested in becoming a chef. And uh, a family friend told me he was going turkey hunting. And I said, well, what do you mean you're going turkey hunting? Like, I thought turkeys were, I didn't know there was such a thing as wild turkey. I thought they were, you know, a a domesticated bird like a chicken. So he takes me turkey hunting. And um, 
I, I actually I couldn't believe it. We you know we shot a couple birds, um, you know we plucked them out, and then the skin was yellow, and the the meat is dark like like the chicken leg meat is like the breast like it's dark, and I yeah. just thought like wow like this is incredible. And then when I tasted it, I, I just couldn't believe that. This is what turkey was supposed to taste like. Yeah, it's and a then, robust flavor. And you grow up, you know, at least I grew up at, you know, Christmas, Thanksgiving, these these important holidays eating turkey and you see it and it's this big white blob and it's humongous. Yeah. And then, you know, the wild bird, it's leaner. It's not like super round. It's 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 lean. It's, it's how it's supposed to be. And then for me, that was like the light bulb moment that this is what we're supposed to be eating. We're not supposed to be eating that shit. Yeah, that shit, that, that really white meat turkey. Look at him. There's the turkey in Toronto. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> turkey in Toronto. Running down the street. I'm so thankful to be here because wow. it's, it's still snowing. Is it's it really? It's still snowing. And I, I love winter and snowboarding and going out and enjoying the snow, but I'm done. California, baby. <laughs> Come on down. <laughs> yeah, man. I was talking to a buddy of mine from Montana on the phone yesterday. It was fucking freezing cold up there, thick snow everywhere. And, you know, they're uh, about to open up their bear season. And he's like, Jesus Christ, it's, it snows <laughs> everywhere. And I'm like, dude, I'm in my underwear right now outside. I, I love it here, man. <laughs> I, I have a soft spot for uh, for California. I've been, I've been coming here since I was a little kid uh, to visit my dad in the summers. And uh, I come here two or three times a year, and I love it. I love it, too. I, you know, the mountain lion thing is a weird thing with California because I, I see their point. What, they, what they've essentially done is – and this is – one of the weird things about California is like – California is one of the places that doesn't have a fish and game department. Really? Yeah, it's like they don't call that. it that. Okay. They call it wildlife. Okay. They don't call it like uh, like they don't think of it as like you have to hunt them. Right. Like if you say like fish and game or Arizona calls it game and fish. Okay. Because there's more game in Arizona right. than there the, are fish. Yeah, desert. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. an interesting way they've switched it around, but I think the way California calls it is fish and wildlife. See, we, we call it the Ministry of Natural Resources. Yeah, that's a good way to look <laughs> at it. But yeah. I can't argue with the effectiveness of their approach because yep. you do not find a lot of deer in California. Right. And deer hunters are extremely frustrated by that. And I get it. Yeah. If you're like a local guy and yeah. you want to be able to hunt your own deer, it's yeah. hard going, man. It's crazy. I actually didn't know there was hunting here. I had no idea. And through through hanging out with uh, with my friends at Mossy Oak, I met this guy that lives actually in Orange County. His name is Jeremiah Doughty uh, from Field to Plate. If you, I don't know if you know this guy. He's a local, uh, you know, L.A. guy. And he hunts all over California. I had no idea that there was so much hunting uh, yeah, in California. Yeah, there's plenty of hunting. He, he's, he's a really good friend of mine. And I'm, I'm saying, well, what's the, he's like, well, there's turkey, there's wild pig, there's the uh, the, the pronghorn. Mm -hmm. um, there's all kinds of stuff that, uh, there's that elk. you can hunt. Yeah. Two, there's Rocky Mountain elk near Tejon Ranch. And then yeah. there's Tule elk that are natural on the coast. There's, there's a lot of different animals here. Yeah. But uh, there's also a lot of motherfucking mountain lions. Woo! Yeah, and they still kill crazy. them. But yeah. the way they kill them now is through government trackers. They, right. I mean, it's really kind of crazy. What they do is mountain lions start eating people's dogs and cats, and you know they get they get scary, yeah. and then people call one of the you know I don't know who you would call that would take care of it, and they hire people, and yeah. most of the time they use dogs. These dogs to tree the mountain lion yeah. and they shoot them. And when they empty the contents of their stomachs, when they do an autopsy on them, they find it filled with dogs and cats, which is really kind of crazy. That, that is not. There was one um, near my where my dad lives. A lady was attacked and they were running. Uh, a, a pair a pair of girls were running uh, in the canyon, 
and a mountain lion actually attacked one of them, and she was like having a tug of war with the mountain lion, like with her friends. Oh, you know, Jesus foot. Christ! And uh, I think it was about five or six years ago. Where uh, was this? Yeah, uh, somewhere in Orange County. Someone was attacked running or Fuck, cycling or something man. like that. Yeah, and they had they had to uh, they went and and found it and shot it. But uh, it's, well, when they get nuts. hungry. You know, people, we're, we're encroaching because we're encroaching on their land. No, it's, <laughs> it's, too many just, of them. it's just land. Yeah. It's not theirs, you fuck. This is what's crazy about people. We're encroaching on their territory. <laughs> no, 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 They're dead. And then whatever was there that claimed that territory is dead. And then there's a new one that comes along and they take it. There's a fucking <laughs> constant battle. This idea that like we're in their community, like they have an established gated community that we've entered and we start putting up houses and pissing off their neighbors. No, that's not what it is. It's just land. And if you hate people and you don't like cities, well, then go fucking live in the forest. Until then, fuck off and stop saying like we're <laughs> encroaching on their land. Do you go to the supermarket? Yes. Do you buy your vegan food at a vegan deli? Well, that's a place where a deer could have lived. Okay. Do you go to the movie theater? You do? Well, you piece of shit. That used to be like a squirrel's house. <laughs> that was a field at one point. Yeah. I mean, yeah. large scale ag agriculture. This is the other thing that kind of drives me crazy about vegans. It's not, I'm not saying you shouldn't eat grain. I'm not saying you shouldn't uh, eat vegetables. But large-scale agriculture in terms of just raising vegetables is responsible for a tremendous amount of death. First of all, there's the pesticides that they use that kill bugs. Now, if you only like mammals and you don't mind when people kill bugs, that seems a little hypocritical to me. It gets a little weird, but it does get weird. And then there's the fact that when you're making these uh, – when you're using a combine – Running through the field, gather all the rabbits, stuff, all the bunnies, all the, the groundhogs are being decimated decimated my good buddy lives in iowa and you know he takes pictures he's like look we just chopped down um we just cut the field look at all the vultures and the vultures are just circling overhead and landing in the field right out they know when the combine rolls through they come in dinner they, time they literally know it's like there's places in alaska um especially on kodiak island where uh rifle shots Equal. Oh, I've heard of this. Dinner bell. Yeah, the for bears grizzlies. come running. Yes. I've heard of this. This is crazy. Fucking crazy. And hunters are are are, are carrying like big Magnum forty five yes. like pistols to defend themselves against these grizzlies. I'll send you a fantastic podcast. That do you know who Steve Rinella is? No. Steve Rinella is a really really interesting guy, and he's a host of a TV show called Meat Eater. He's yes. A, oh yes, yes, yes. He's yeah. an author. Yeah. He has a podcast yep. that he uh, recorded when they were in a Fognac Island, which is like one of those chains of islands near Kodiak. So it has those enormous coastal brown bears, just like Kodiak, and they got attacked. They got attacked when they, sh they shot an elk, and they were packing the elk out, and they got rushed by a fucking tanker of a bear. And it is a crazy podcast because they recorded it right after the fact. When oh, every, every, everyone's freaking out still. Yeah. And, you know, one guy had a pistol on him, but he set it down next to his pack. And they had all these ideas of, like, what it would be like if an animal came in, like, mm -hmm. if they got attacked. They had all these preconceived notions of what it would be like, what it would feel like. Yeah. And it was like, throw all that out the window. It was, like, you were, your brain, it's not even on a reptilian level. Your brain is so terrified, and this thing was so big. My friend Giannis said that he saw its teeth gnashing literally feet from his head as it ran through the camp. Oh, my God. The revenant is just like <laughs> getting dude. that view. I yeah. got rushed by a deer one time, and uh, I was losing it. I didn't know Whoa. what to do. 
it was uh, it was before sunrise. It was like you know five in the morning. I'm I'm walking into my deer setup, and I had to cross this little river, and it was like full of stones and stuff. And I'm I'm kind of walking up this river. And all I hear is like, brum, brum, brum. and I'm like, oh, like, what the hell is that noise? And then it stopped and it was pawing at the ground and snorting. And I was like, Whoa. holy shit, this is a buck. And like, I, my, my, I got goosebumps right now thinking about this. And this is my bows in my bag. And I'm just like, I'm going to get taken down by this deer. <laughs> and then I think it thought it was another buck because it's, you know, it's in the rut. Right. It's, oh, it's, it's yeah. rutting season for these deer. And it, then it smelt that I was a human and it did that. I got blown. It whistled, did that whistling, blowing yeah. kind of sound and took off. But I thought I was fucked. I was like, this is gonna it. get gored. I'm going to get gored by these antlers and that's it. <sighs> well, um, were you but it's in not Canada? a bear. It was, so yeah, that was in Canada. So I hunt. Those are big animals. They're big. We have big whitetail. And, um, 300 pounds sometimes. They're big. We, and even our does are huge. Like we get, we got a lot of doe tags. Um, where I grew up in, uh, in Caledon, which is about an hour north of the city on a horse farm, um, we don't have a gun season for deer. So that's how I got into archery and, and hunting with a bow. That's interesting. Why is that? Um, you know what? I don't know. I think it's because it's, it's, uh, the farms are kind of closer together. Uh, it's, it's sort of like, you know, it's not huge agriculture. They're more kind of hobby farms. So I think they're a little closer together. They don't want people um, just letting loose bullets. Letting loose bullets. I think the, the main thing is rifles. So uh, deer season and turkey season, you can use a shotgun. Uh, and it's really stupid because you can, you can shoot coyotes too with, with a rifle or shotgun, but there's no uh, shotgun or rifle for deer, which is weird. That is weird. So that, but that's why I got into archery. Um, um, and yeah, I, I'm lucky cause it's, it's, it's so close to the city. I can, I can kind of go and hunt and then come back to work in the morning. Yeah. The coyote thing is interesting because it's very counterintuitive. The more coyotes you kill, the more coyotes breed, the more coyote populations increase. Coyotes are a fascinating they're, animal. They're a big problem, uh, at least in Caledon, where I'm from. They've, you know, like you, you were talking about the mountain lions. That's kind of our version. Uh, I don't think there's any mountain lions where I live, but um, the coyotes are a problem. They're nabbing people's dogs and cats oh, everywhere. Out off, here. Off, off the trail, people will be walking on their leash and they're coming out and oh, yeah. nailing their little dogs. It happens dog. out here. I had one kill a chicken of mine two weeks ago. Crazy. Yeah, I've got a video of the de- <laughs> dead fucking chicken in my Jesus. chicken coop. And then uh, the, here's what's really dark I dug a hole. And it buried the chicken. We don't eat our chickens. We just use the eggs. For eggs. And they're like pets. I mean, yeah. like there's a video of me from my Instagram walking uh, in my yard holding my daughter's bunny. And the chickens, they're like, they're following me around. I, I wrote, I'm the motherfucking chicken whisperer. <laughs> because it's a crazy video. Because these chickens just follow me. Yeah. I mean, they literally, awesome. they're like pets. Yeah. So when um, this chicken died, I was bummed out. It was a sweetheart of a chicken, too. And this was a chicken that we used to, we would turn over rocks, and she would come and get the, worms, the worms. And so she would follow you around. I'm like, come on, sweetie, here we go. And it's really like a pet. Oh, here it is. Here's a video of me walking. Like, look at them. That's so cool. They just follow me around, man. <laughs> and I know. And a lot of farmers and, and people, little hobby farms, they use chickens as insect control. Yes. In their vegetable gardens. Oh, they're great for that. They're great for, they will fuck up some mice too, man. You ain't never seen no nothing way. like it. No? You never I, seen I it? I did not know that. Dude, this is how I found out about it. Um, well, one, one way I found out about it, a mouse got in the chicken coop and they okay. fucked that thing up. And I was like, wow, <laughs> that's, that's crazy. crazy. But then, uh, another thing happened was my, um, daughters found a hawk. My wife decided in all of her, uh, she, you know, w- women are always trying to like spruce things up. She decided she was going to change some of these fences to a glass fence and the hawks didn't get the memo. 
and they suck and shit them. <laughs> they they swan dived into this this glass wall. And when we first put up the fence, there was like three hawks that got fucked up, and one of them died. And we found one of them that was just KO'd and had blood coming out of its nose. Like, literally, it was like a UFC fight. It was down and fucked up. So uh, my daughters uh, took this in, and they put it in a large cardboard box, and they had to figure out how to feed it because it was – I think it was on Saturday, and the wildlife rescue place was not open on the weekend. And so we had to bring it into a place on uh, Monday. So over the weekend, we went to this pet store that we go to, and they sell something called pinkies. It's a very cute term for baby (laughs) mice that can't really see yet. And they're separated from their mother, and they feed them to snakes. It's mostly reptiles they feed them to. But these um, hawks would fuck these pinkies up. And so to try to give this hawk some food while it was there over the weekend so it didn't starve, my daughters brought him the pinkies. And there was one pinky left. Uh, that the hawk didn't eat when we brought the hawk to the wildlife rescue place. So they, they fixed up the hawk, and they told us the hawk was they, – they took care of its wing, and eventually they released it back in the wild. So it was a nice story. But there was this one pinky left over, and the thing was going to die. It wasn't with its mother. It was too small to drink milk. And they were like, we want to keep it. We want to keep it as a pet. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. You were just feeding its brothers and sisters to this fucking hawk, and now you guys want to keep it. So I said, listen, I think we should feed it to the chickens. And they're like, no. I was like, well, what do you, you guys, what are you this gonna is do? crazy. You can't <laughs> yeah. keep it. It's going to die. Do you understand yeah. that? And they said, okay, okay, okay. I go, well, listen, you don't have to watch. I'll just go out and do it. Dude, I put that fucking thing down, and I have never seen those chickens so voracious. Attacked that mouse, and then they were all chasing the one chicken that had the mouse, trying to steal it from her. <laughs> watch this. I didn't this know that. Here's the chicken with a mouse right here. Look, they get a mouse, and they, they fuck that mouse up, man. They try to steal it from each other. They're like, give it to me. Give it to me. Give it to me. There's uh, one where a cat is playing with a mouse. A cat. You've seen the one with the cat and the chicken, Jamie? That's the best one. Because the cat, everybody thinks of cats as being vicious. Cats are pretty vicious. Chickens are fucking dinosaurs, man. The way the chicken attacks the mouse, like, here it is. See, look at that. He's going to eat the shit out of that mouse, too. He's gotta, she's got to keep her eyes open make sure those other <laughs> cunts don't come and steal her mouse. See? Look at her. They're experts in bobbing and weaving and turning their heads. But So the uh, cat is stalking the mouse, and the chicken's like, bitch, you don't even know what you're doing. The chicken just runs in and snatches it right in front of the cat. And the cat's like, fuck, <laughs> seriously? It's like, my mouse. They're way more ruthless. I mean, birds are ruthless creatures. And chickens in particular are just, I think it's just a part of their natural diet. Like when a a mouse would get, look at this. See the cat? The cat's like, wow, check out this mouse. I can't believe how lucky I am. (laughs) So he's like, you know, cats, for a cat, half of it's a game, right? They just want to play with it. Yeah. There's chick hanging back. But as soon as the chicken finds it. Meanwhile, that mouse does not seem scared of that, cha- he's that not, cat. He's not scared enough. I bet that mouse has Toxo. Look at Boom. that. The chicken's like, fuck you. Give me that thing. That is crazy. Crazy. I did not know that about yeah. chickens. Oh, dude. They'll fuck a mouse up. <laughs> but it's just crazy. the way they do it, too. He's they, fast, too. And they think of it as purely as food. Yeah. They're not thinking, like the cat, it's it's sport. Yeah. For the cat, it's kind of fun. Yeah. Cat's probably fully fed. And, it's you a know, house cat. Yeah, it's a house cat. It's a fat <laughs> house cat. He's just looking to kill something But that's nature. Sport. That's nature. 
Yeah. People don't understand that. They want to they remove themselves from it, and that's great. But they don't want to understand it. They don't want to understand it. They want something that aligns with their ideology, and their ideology is love and compassion, except for people that eat meat, and then yep. death, <laughs> death threats. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's really what it is. It's, it's an ideological battle, and in that sense, veganism becomes very much like a religion because you, like, you support all the people that are on your side and the people that are opposed to you are like apostates. They're like, they're like the negative people that are trying to bring you to the dark side, to hell. It gets, <laughs> it gets really crazy. And there's a lot of evidence on their side in terms of like factory farming and the, the horrors of factory farming. And even the, the really incredibly poor modern American diet that they see. A lot of people, when they go vegan, what they're doing, one of the best things that they're doing is they're eliminating all the bullshit. They're eliminating all the trans fats and all the fucking, all the terrible shit that a lot of people eat that isn't vegan. Yeah. But the negative thing is most of them are eating diets that are far too carbohydrate rich. And if they're not getting their blood checked, they don't even know how unhealthy they are. They convince themselves they're doing much better and they're feeling much better. But a lack of cholesterol can fuck with your hormone functions. A lot of vegans have low hormones because of that. We, uh, one of our regulars at Antler uh, was talking to me about, about his experience. He used to have an organic vegetable farm. Uh, and he's a six foot seven, big, huge, tall Dutch white guy. And he goes to me, he says, you know, uh, I was vegan for a long time. I had this organic vegetable farm and I thought that I was doing my body a service. He's, I thought I was doing something great for my body. And he got really sick and he went to the doctor and the doctor said, listen, man, you have to take supplements to supplement the, the, the things you're not getting from, from eating meat or you have to go back to eating meat because just some people's bodies do better than others. Uh, he said a lot of Asian cultures are more susceptible to, to vegetable diets, but he's like, in reality, he's like, you know, you're a, you're a Northern European you know descent and you need to eat you know this stuff to be healthy and that's when he he went back to eating meat and it, it doesn't matter you know what what you're trying like he he was living on an organic vegetable farm like what what more healthy you know vegetables could he be eating so yeah b12 is a big one and b12 essentially only comes from things other than vegetables you can get some of it from algae you can get i mean you definitely can get it from meat it's rich in meat and the yep. other thing is iron Iron, you know, people say, well, there's iron in vegetables. There is, but it's not very bioavailable. Right. And a lot of the various vitamins and even protein in vegetables not very bioavailable in most sources. And it's how your body absorbs those nutrients as yeah. well. Like it might, it might be rich in that, that, that substance, but your body can't really absorb it. Well, it's just everybody's body's different. I mean, it's just that is an absolute fact that there are some people that can eat certain diets and be very healthy and then other people eat them and they have a really hard time with them. Yeah. But the other thing is that most of these people that are talking about how healthy and how great they feel, there's a lot of it is sort of a placebo effect and they're not getting blood work done. Everyone, regardless of what your diet is, you should get blood work done just to find out if you have any potential problems that are on the horizon. Because there's a lot of times you'll feel okay, and then you get your blood work done, and the, the doctor will tell you, hey, man, you're really low in vitamin B and D and A, and, you know, you need this and that, and, you know, this is the, the health consequences of not having this stuff in your diet. And if you are committed to a vegan diet, there's ways that you can supplement. And this is my advice to people. If you want to supplement, first of all, uh, algae is a great one. 
you know, it tastes like shit, but it's very good for your body. And you just add it to smoothies, you know, just add it with coconut milk or a bunch of other things. You can do it. I mean, you definitely can eat a vegan diet and be healthy, but you got to be on the ball, you know, and the the B12 one is a big one. It's a massive amounts. I was reading some crazy article the other day. It said something like 90% of all vegans are B12 deficient. I've heard this. (laughs) I'm not an expert, but I've been reading it. (laughs) It's terrible. Um, There's a guy named Chris Kresser that I've had on my podcast before who is a a brilliant guy who um, is – He's an expert in diet nutrition who started out as a macrobiotic vegan and had massive health problems and then switched to eating meat eventually and then really became a connoisseur of organ meat, which is like probably the most nutrient dense food in the world. I love, I love, that's my favorite thing about hunting is the organ meat. Me too, man. I love liver. Liver and the heart. Um, I, I, I went hunting and I came back and I brought the heart into the restaurant for the guys because I wanted to, you know, share with them like the experience of eating like fresh killed. Like the heart was still warm when I brought it to work. And I, I, the way I like to eat it is either tartare, like just mince it up raw uh, or cook it like a steak. So I, I cut it, uh, you know, horizontally and into like it looks like a tenderloin steak. And we all got like this like buzz, like we just like shot a double espresso or something. It was just like, whoa. And it's like it's so nutrient rich, uh, the organ meat. I had Alexander Gustafson on the podcast yesterday as a UFC number one lightweight content, light heavyweight contender, big Viking motherfucker. But he gets all of his meat from hunting for his training camps and everything like that. He hunts red deer in, in Sweden. That's where he lives. And uh, we were both talking about how when you eat really nutrient-dense wild game, it gives you like a stimulated effect. Like your body is like, yeah, more yeah. of this. Give me more of this. It's, there's something in it. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what, and it just tastes, it tastes like it's supposed to taste. It's, it's, right. You can't explain it. The flavor is totally different. Even when, you know, we're buying from these really cool game farms, it's different than the deer that I go and, sh- and shoot because, you know, that deer I, I just shot could be like six, seven years old versus at the farm, it's maybe one or two. Right. Um, but again, it's, it's eating such a diverse diet and it's, you know, my belief is that that's how we're supposed to be eating. Well, it's definitely how we were eating for the longest time. Yeah. And it is entirely possible that if humans, like say if you got an isolated group of humans that stuck to a very, very rigid vegan diet for many, many, many generations, it's entirely possible that our genes would adapt to that diet and lifestyle. It's totally possible. The reality of your current physical form is it's most likely not designed for that. And this is just based on genes and on genetics and epigenetics and all the the various things that they've methods that they've devised to try to study what makes you a person and where where your ancestors came from and how did how did your ancestors develop did they eat mostly fish like there's people that live like in the in the northwest like the extreme like in Alaska and uh, Inuits and people they're they're entire history they've evolved from eating fish and whale and whale blubber and seal and seal fat and there's real changes to who they are as people like first of all one of the big ones is the people that live up there their hands don't get cold like ours do their hands have better circulation i've heard that when when uh the indigenous communities um there was some program where they were trying to get them to stop hunting whales or stop killing seals, and the government was supplementing with them with, uh, with, with beef and cattle. And their argument was, this is not what we're supposed to eat. This is not what we're designed to eat. You know, we need the fat in the whale blubber 
to stay warm. Yeah, it's kind of weird. It's weird. Like, why would we be forcing these people to eat something that, you know, is foreign to them? And it's, it's, it's not the, – the fat content in, in beef is way different than whale and seal. Like, it's like apples and oranges. Well, it's also – you're looking at what we were talking about before, like white meat from turkey, domestic turkey versus the, the turkey that's a wild turkey. When you see cows, that you get these corn-fed cows, you have this pale meat. That meat is pale because it's not as good for you. It's, it's more filled with fat, which tastes good, but it's just it's not as nutrient-dense. When you have a moose steak, and you've seen a moose steak before, oh, right? Yeah. It's a fucking... It's lean. Like, yeah, but it's almost like... like Purple. Like yeah, dark, dark, dark red. Dark. Yeah. It's fucking dark, man. Yeah. That's, that's way different. It's yeah. a way different thing. Yeah. That cow is just some... It's like the fattest, laziest person, you know? <laughs> like if you thought about like take an athlete like LeBron James, who's just like this super athlete and compare like the composition of his body to some fucking slob who just drinks <laughs> soda all day and is tired, is on antidepressants and antibiotics because his body's fucking deteriorating rapidly. He's got arthritis in all of his joints because he's too fat. That literally is a cow. That's literally one of these fucking farm-raised, overstuffed, corn-fed cows, and they grind that fat fuck into a hamburger, <laughs> and it's just not the same. I'm not, you know, I'm not endorsing eating LeBron James, but I'm saying there's a difference in what the the composition of their body is. It's a different thing. It's a very different thing. Totally. Yeah, I mean, I think wild things, whether it's wild salmon or you know, even wild vegetables, I think, would be probably better for you. So that's a, that's a big part of what I do is, is and it's why one of the reasons why I love nature so much is, is foraging. And mm. I take my kids out to the woods and we go pick mushrooms. And since they were like, you know, babies, my son's been dragged into the woods since he was one. What kind and, of mushrooms? Uh, so my favorite one to harvest where I live is morels. Oh, yeah. Uh, they're really funky looking. They kind of look like a brain or something, something weird. Um, I ordered them online. I've never seen them in the wild. There's nothing that tastes quite like them that you can you can buy they're and almost they, like a meat they're very meaty they're very meaty and there's a couple different kinds there's like black ones and, and kind of white or yellowish ones um and they're just like it's so fascinating to go out into the wild and and pick your own food and when you come home and cook it like nothing else tastes like that and like mushrooms from the store they're totally different and it's just it's something really special that you can go and experience in the wild yeah morels are uh, a real weird one and i've been reading up on them what, one of the strange things is when there's fire forest fires yeah they pop up like the, yeah. ne- the next season they're like cleansing they're they're cleansing the earth i don't I, i'm not on my call just so i don't know uh you know i just enjoy finding them and eating them but uh, i do know there's a cleansing property to decaying uh to decaying uh, matter so when, yeah. when when trees fall down like the the best place to find morels is uh, i look for trees with no bark on them so they're they're really super old. That's uh, called a dead elm tree, and they like the rotting roots of these dead elm trees. And you know, you're, you're in the bush and or in the field, and you kind of see this one tree that has no bark on it, and it's about to fall over. There'll be like 20 morels at the base. Wow. Um, they're, they're kind of they're feeding off the root system that's underground. Yeah, I'm f- absolutely fascinated by mushrooms. I had uh, Paul Stamets on the podcast. I He's, saw, I saw my, that one. How great is that guy? That's super cool. With his mushroom hat? Yeah. <laughs> that was yeah, amazing. I got one if you want one. <laughs> that's awesome. I got, he gave me two mushroom hats. Oh, that's hats. amazing. Like, what am I going to do with two? In case one breaks. Yeah. <laughs> I have an extra mushroom hat. Uh, but There's know. a really cool documentary, actually, um, 
Uh, it's called Know Your Mushrooms, I think. It's by Ron, by, by Ron Mann. And he, 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 he travels along with these mushroom hunters. Uh, up, I think a lot, a lot of it's in Oregon and up the coast of California down in New Mexico, but they're, they're professional foragers that then go and sell these mushrooms. Uh, but they track these foragers, and it's such a cool movie. That's interesting. Um, the, what I was going to say is you, you better know mushrooms because they'll fucking kill you if you don't. Well, that, that's the <laughs> thing, man. It's like, you know, what my first experiencing foraging for mushrooms, I was like an apprentice chef at this restaurant and the chef comes in and was like, hey, check these out. And I was like, whoa, like, what the hell are these? And he's like, oh, they're morels. Like, I found them mountain biking. And there's this stigma, you know, like as, as a kid, like your parents are like, don't, don't eat those, don't touch those. They're poisonous. They'll kill you. And it's like, okay, well, then you just, you just have this idea, well, mushrooms come from the grocery store. Well, it's like, no, they grow, they come in the wild. And, you know, that's, that's like my thing with meat is I, I teach my kids, like meat doesn't come from the grocery store. It's not, right. it's not a styrofoam package. That's not where it comes from. It's an animal. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, and it's just like, you know, mushrooms that grow in the wild and, it, they're just they're crazy they they have this like micro micro uh michael risel yeah it's yeah it's, michael risel relationship with the uh animals or with the uh the trees rather um do you know the story of the amanita muscaria uh, i know what they are uh i don't know the story the amanita muscaria is the most fascinating one to me because that's the one that looks like uh, looks like santa claus or the mario it's red with white yeah. yeah that is the subject of a book by a guy named john marco allegro who was one of the head scholars uh, for deciphering the Dead Sea Scrolls. He deciphered the Dead Sea Scrolls for 14 years. He was an ordained minister, but he was also, in his study of theology, became agnostic. And he sort of, when he started realizing that there was all these different religions that had similar stories, and he was, you know, found all these uh, different connections, and he was trying, trying to like figure out what the origins of all these stories were. Well, after studying the Dead Sea Scrolls for, I think it was 14 years before he wrote this book, he decided that all of Christianity was a massive misunderstanding. And what it was originally about was these stories, these collection of stories that were about fertility rituals and psychedelic mushroom use. <laughs> and he traced the word Jesus back to an ancient Sumerian word that was a mushroom covered in God's semen. And that when God would come on the earth, that's what rain was. Rain was God coming on the earth. And that these mushrooms would rise up out of the ground. They would eat them and trip their fucking balls off, right? <laughs> That's a crazy story. <laughs> so, I mean, you got to think. Yeah. People that were foraging for food, especially back when there was no agriculture, right? I mean, it was, it was touch and go. You, you could easily starve to death. You, I mean, a bad winter, you know, a drought, people would starve to death. It was very, very common. So they would take foraging extremely serious and they knew what they could eat and they knew what they couldn't eat well they knew that there was a relationship between carnivorous trees and coniferous trees would grow these weird looking shiny red and white mushrooms under them that's what coniferous trees is pine trees that's what we use for christmas trees yeah those red and white packages they, they are like the shiny packages underneath the Christmas tree. They are the color of Santa Claus. Yeah. They're common in Siberia. They're eaten constantly by caribou. Caribou are reindeer. Reindeer are addicted to these to the point where when people are having psychedelic mushroom rituals and they go outside to take a leak, the caribou will knock them over to get to the Amanita muscaria piss in the sand because they <laughs> smell the Amanita muscaria in the piss. And one of the ways these guys trip their balls off is they eat the mushroom and then they drink their own urine. They That's have a crazy. second process of this. 
Here's where it gets even crazier. In the times in Siberia where it would become extremely snowy, when the, the shaman would visit, the way they would get into the house is through the fucking chimney because the door would be snowed in. So they would climb in through the chimney. I mean, there's so many parallels to Santa Claus and to Christianity, to this one mushroom that they think was a, a massive part of shamanistic rituals. There it is right there. This is this Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, that is that's Rudolph so crazy. the Red-Nosed I'm that's sure. such a cool story. <laughs> oh, dude, it's fucking crazy. So he yeah. wrote this book called The Sacred Mushroom and the Cross that was bought out by the Catholic Church. This I have to verify. Um, but I do know that they stopped production of it. I don't know if it was bought out by the Catholic Church. That's always been what's been told to me. But I do know that they stopped production of it forever. Um, he came out with another book called The Dead Sea Scrolls and the Christian Myth, which is still available. Then, more recently, like really recently, within the last decade, uh, a guy named Jan Irvin republished um, the John Marco Allegro books with permission from his family. I think it might have actually been one of those things where when a book is over 25 years old, it becomes like public domain or something like that, too. But this, this book and this, this story behind it is incredibly fascinating. And what he's basically saying is that, and it makes sense, if you were living thousands of years ago and you stumbled upon these psychedelic mushrooms and you took them, you would experience God. You literally would think that that psychedelic state was you communicating with God. They would want to hide those from the Romans. So they hid them in parables and stories. And he explains what the original meaning of all these parables and stories are. Because, of course, you're going from ancient Hebrew, which is an extremely complicated language that also involves numbers. The letters are also numbers. And then that's translated to Latin and to Greek and then eventually to English. So a lot is lost in that translation. So it really takes a linguist and a, and a biblical scholar to kind of understand whether or not what this guy is saying is correct. I'm obviously not one of those, so I'm just talking <laughs> shit. But it's a there's so many parallels it's almost like how could it be just coincidental that santa claus is red and white that santa claus likes reindeers that the christmas tree is something that we use and the presents are under the christmas tree that santa claus lives in the fucking north pole which is siberia which is where <laughs> caribou live and which is where these mushrooms are very common i mean there's so many parallels it's really kind of fucking crazy that's cool yeah, it's a great book. Anybody, I, I really highly recommend it because it's one of those books where you just gotta you read a few chapters and you gotta go. I think I may have to go back over that again yeah. and go over yeah. it again. It's so <laughs> it's it's so freaky. Very cool. But I've stumbled upon those in the wild. Those uh, amanita. See, I've never found those. And there's like those. There's like you have to cook them first. You can't eat them raw. You have to boil them. Yeah, we made tea they, out of they them. They will make you sick. Apparently, yeah. if you don't do it right. Um, but yeah, no, I, I forage more for uh, morels are my favorite. Uh, chanterelles, obviously, awesome, like awesome culinary mushroom. Uh, What's that yellow one that grows on trees? It's like a thick uh, chicken of the woods. Yes, that, that one. one's really, and it tastes like chicken. It is unbelievable. I heard that one's amazing. It's really funky. Uh, we found. I was walking with the kids in a park downtown Toronto, and I look over, and there's this massive. It's on my Instagram. Uh, massive yellow kind of looks like goo growing on this tree and it was a premature chicken of the woods and it just looked like this blob and then if if i were to leave it it would start to kind of uh, shelf out into like shelf kind of mushrooms um and so I, I left it for like a week and went back and harvested it and it's like it's like tender juicy chicken flavor it is bizarre oh that's kind of cool so yeah. you were just like hoping nobody else saw it yeah and it was like <laughs> it was in like a really public uh park and i was like oh man like i better get this before someone else finds it <laughs> well how many people would know in a public park in toronto yeah. 
Uh, there's a few. There's there's definitely a few. I've I've kind of walked up to ladies like picking herbs and stuff, and I was like, hey, like, what are you doing? And they just kind of looked at me and kind of went away. They didn't yeah. want to share their knowledge with me. There it is. That, there it is. Oh, so that's the. It's bizarre, man. Look it's, at you. You look yeah. like zoo, zookeeper or zoo uh, <laughs> I was like, I was so pumped. <laughs> I was so excited. <laughs> the face you're making. There's another. You look like Chris D'Elia there. My, Doesn't my, he look a little like D'Elia? <laughs> that's hilarious. Oh, that's so cool, yeah, man. Oh, so, and there's like a little tiny one, uh, you know, below yeah. it. But, Why yeah, do they so, grow on trees? I don't know. I think, well, that one, you can see the bark is like deteriorating. So again, it's it's uh, it's feeding off the decaying uh, tree. Wow. Yeah, that's look the, how badass that so looks. So if that, if you actually go, and I found ones like that too, if you go and, and, and harvest those, they're really woody by that time and they're, they're kind of a little too tough to, to oh, eat. Oh, really? Um, so, so yeah, you want to get them when they're kind of younger like that. So is there a color change? Um, I, I get. I guess when they when they're older, they get a bit more orange. Yeah. Uh, from that kind of yellow premature state. See that one where there's like yellow. Yeah. Whoa. Those are like perfect. Yeah. Right there, yeah. perfect. Yeah. Oh wow, that looks um, like almost like cauliflower. Totally. Yeah. It's really really neat. Wow. It's fascinating. You know the 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 mushroom world is is uh, super cool. Do you know they breathe air? I did not know that. They breathe air and they breathe out carbon dioxide. Yeah. They're closer to animals than they are to vegetables. That's really cool. Yeah. They're weird. Fungus is a weird thing, man. Yeah. Well, and a lot of it's like um, misunderstood. Well, I, I guess I was I was watching the podcast with the with the mushroom guy, Paul but, Stamets. Uh, yeah. Shout out to Paul. Love that <laughs> Shout guy. Shout out to Paul. Um, but like a lot of it is 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 still being learned today of 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 the impact on on the earth and and what they do. Did you hear a story about how? What did he take ten grams of psilocybin mushrooms and climbed a tree and was in a lightning storm? And like connected to the fucking universe. First time ever doing it, right? Yeah, he first did that? time ever doing it. Yeah. yeah, he did that. I think he was in high school, right? Or some somewhere around there, very young. Yeah. Crazy. He's awesome. Such a trip, though. Well, and I was reading that like the, uh, the psilocybin ha- is linked to you're curing depression and things yeah. like that, which which I don't know a lot about, but um, it's fascinating the effects they have on on uh, on people. John Hopkins is doing some studies on them. The most fascinating of all the mushroom theories is by the late great Terence McKenna and his brother Dennis McKenna who's uh, still alive and a scientist explained it on my first podcast with him so if anybody's interested find that and download it it's Dennis is a brilliant guy and this the theory is called the stoned ape theory and this coincides with what we're talking about about with hunting and consumption of meat um, leading to uh, us becoming humans there's a doubling of the human brain size over a period of two million years. It's like apparently one of the biggest mysteries in the fossil record. They do not understand why something so important, like the thing that actually created the theory of, I mean, the, of evolution, explained evolution, like this very organ doubled over a period of two million years, and they don't know why. Terence believes that the reason coincided with climate change and that as the climate changed, these rainforests receded into grasslands and these lower hominids, like our ancestors, came down from the trees and started experimenting with new food sources. And one of the things they experimented with was psychedelic mushrooms and that through psilocybin, which they found by flipping over cow patties, a couple things happened. One Um, It increased visual acuity. Mushrooms, especially in low doses, increased visual acuity, which would make them better hunters. They could see better. Um, Made them more intuitive, made them more creative. And also, the way Dennis explains the effect of psilocybin on the brain, he was saying that it could have possibly led to the development of language. 
and that all of this could have come out of the consumption of psychedelic mushrooms. It's fucking intense, man. So <laughs> that's crazy. Ter Terrence called it the stoned ape theory. That's, what cool. he, that's how he thinks we became human. That's amazing. Yeah. It sounds Super stupid. Cool. Sounds stupid until you do mushrooms. Yeah. And then you go, oh. <laughs> that makes sense. And then you go, oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> okay, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Why is this illegal? Then you start going, what? Everybody should do this. Oh, my God. Everybody should do this. Now, when you first started cooking, um, did you, when, how old were you when you became a chef? Um, well, I, it's kind of a fluke, funny story. Um, I was a 13-year-old kid, and I, I wanted a, a part-time job, you know, like a newspaper route or something like that. And I went to – I lived in a little town uh, on this horse farm in the country, and I rode my bike – uh, down to this gas station and I applied to pump gas and this guy had a diner on the corner and was like, Hey man, like I don't need anyone to pump gas, but can you cook? And I grew up cooking at home with my mom because she would work late and she would call me on her way home and tell me how to start dinner. Oh. So she'd be like, turn on the oven, get the chicken out of the fridge, get the shake and bake. And you know, she would walk me through it and I'd start dinner and she'd get home and, and finish it. So I told her, yeah, I can, you know, I'll cook or whatever. And I, he had, had me in there, you know, like dropping the fry baskets and flipping eggs and, you know, doing the brunch shift on the weekend. Um, and it just stuck. It's one of those things that uh, you just kind of grow up doing. I, you know, I wanted money to buy skateboards and pot and stupid shit. And, um, yeah, I just, it just kind of stuck. And then uh, all through high school, I had a job cooking. And I really I started to struggle with it because, uh, you know, I was taking all these world issues courses and learning about the environment and watching these documentaries about food. And I didn't know, you know, how being a chef could help change the world. And how am I going to make a difference as a chef? Um, and then, uh, and then I had, I had my daughter when I was 19 and I had all this, uh, experience cooking and I thought, well, you know, I'm just going to go to chef school and, uh, and make a go of this. Like I've got all this experience. I'm already this far ahead. And, uh, it was, it was having kids at such a young age that really made me focus and was like, okay, like, I have a job to do. Right. And uh, I, I fell in love with food. Uh, I, you know, I was a 17-year-old kid with a vegetable garden. Like, who does that, you know? And, uh, and then I got into hunting and foraging and, and learning about food. And I just, I totally just fell in love with it. And so how did antler come about? You brought a bunch uh, of these, huh? I brought a bunch of these, yeah. So this Where photo, uh, I actually took this photo. It's blown up in the restaurant. Um, all the green on the ground is uh, wild leeks. So in the mm -hmm. spring, and I actually took this turkey hunting. Um, and I, I looked over and was like, whoa, cool, that's amazing. And, so it's and like a postcard? Yeah, it's a postcard. This is actually a sketch my friend did of, a, of a deer skull that I shot. Oh. Um, so anyway, antler came about because... Um, I worked for a celebrity chef, uh, and he gave me his cookbook, and I was hunting and foraging, doing all the stuff, and I thought, well, you know, one of the ways I can make an impact on the world is I can teach people about what I'm doing. And uh, I went and I got, a, I got a camera, and I would take it with me and shoot photos like this, and I wanted to teach people about hunting and foraging because what I was doing is not new. It's really, really old, but, uh, you know, people seem to have forgotten about it. You know, at least people in the cities anyway, people don't really know much about it. So I thought, you know, I'm going to help educate you know, uh, modern civilization about hunting and foraging. And I thought this will be like my, my make a difference in the world. And, uh, uh, I ended up, uh, hanging out with a really good friend of mine. Um, one of my best friends today, and, uh, he's a family friend, uh, documentary filmmaker by the name of Jody Shapiro. Um, and you know, we had this deal and he said, you know, I'll, I'll help you with the photos if uh, you teach me how to cook. And, uh, he was, he was taking some culinary courses at uh, the local college just as a hobby. And, uh, you know, we started hanging out and, and shooting this cookbook and, um, 
we started to kind of get some press about it. Um, you know, Eater Magazine did this article on us, and we started doing these game dinners out of his house. And out of, he had this really nice condo. And uh, so I put on this game dinner. I, we sold tickets. And uh, I knew there were laws about serving game in restaurants. So in Canada, and I, I'm pretty sure the U.S. is pretty similar, you can't serve wild game in a restaurant. So there's public health. Excuse me. Um, all meat has to be inspected through a slaughterhouse. Europe is different. You can kind of do whatever in Europe. But so I thought, okay, cool. We'll have this game dinner out of his house and we're in the clear. But with the, with the Ministry of Natural Resources, you can't sell game meat. So for any kind of profit. But we weren't profiting off it. We were just kind of having fun. Um, anyway, do this game dinner. Uh, a local paper, uh, a national paper, actually wanted to buy a ticket. They came. We thought they were going to write this little blurb about it. They did a two-page spread in a national newspaper about this game dinner. So we started to get all this press about it, and um, we just said, "Hey, let's let's open a restaurant. Let's let's have a home where we can we can you know work on this book, possibly shoot some documentary, and and really just have fun and, and explore uh, Canadian cuisine. It's something that I'm really passionate about. Um, something that's really you know." hasn't really been defined. There's a bunch of people trying to define it, um, you know, and and uh, and it was just sort of our home. Now, when you say Canadian cuisine, are these traditional recipes or are, are they improvised? Well, I, you know, a lot of it is is improvised. It's a lot of it's my take on it. Um, you know, I, I I definitely want to do some more kind of studying about native and indigenous cooking. Um, you know, traveling across the country is something I want to do and, and learning from uh, the indigenous communities. Um, but sort of my take on it is, you know, if there, if there wasn't these farmed animals, what would we, what would we eat? And, and for me, it's, it's morels, it's, it's maple syrup, it's the wild leeks in this photo, it's deer and turkey and rabbit and these things we, all, we serve at Antler because that's what's growing around us in Canada. It's oh, wild fish. And thanks again for the maple syrup, man. <laughs> I'm going to have to break my diet to enjoy some of this. Yeah, but man. that is the, the liquidiest looking, richest looking Liquid maple syrup gold. I've ever seen. Look yeah, at man. That. that looks amazing. So I was, I was telling you earlier that takes uh, 18 liters of sap boiled down to make one liter wow. of syrup. And the cool part is you can drink the sap. It's uh, natural. Uh, it's full of uh, natural electrolytes and minerals. So it's kind of like uh, a coconut water uh, type of beverage what's crazy to me is how someone figured out to do that like uh, and they've been doing it for hundreds of years right yeah, yeah super cool and it, it happens only you can only make it in the spring uh when it's uh freezing at night and it thaws during the day and what happens is the the tree roots are sucking up as much water as it can to feed the buds that it's trying to uh to make to make leaves again how the fuck did anybody figure that out no idea <laughs> how they figure out how to take the and they it's, take it's, this sap from the trees like that. It's so simple. It's it's really really cool. To, uh, when when you when you go you know you drill a hole in the tree, you put in this little tap and uh, hang a bucket, and it just drips out. And wow. Yeah. And how long does it take to drip? Like to um, fill a bucket. When it's when it's like kind of perfect conditions, I put up these sixteen liter buckets, and within like three or four days, they're full. Oh wow. Yeah. So it's cool. It's fun. And it, it gets me out in the woods. I call it my spring training because I'm lugging around all these buckets, you know. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> it's, uh, that's getting the, awesome. Getting the winter fat off. So um, when you were talking about indigenous people, how they would cook their food, have you learned any of those dishes yet? Um, I have. Um, like I said, I'm, I'm not an expert, um, but it's something I'm, we're, we're going to be kind of studying uh, moving forward, Our, you know, the growth of Antler, you know, where do we go from here? Um, and, you know, as I mentioned, my, my business partner is a documentary guy. So we, we, we want to travel and, and travel across the country and learn really what that is. Um, and there's so many different indigenous communities in Canada, like Canada's on three coasts, uh, you know, much like the States with Alaska, you know, you don't really think of the Arctic up there, but, uh, you know, there's three oh, yeah. oceans. You have you an know? ocean up top. Yeah. Fuck yeah. that ocean, though. So, yeah. <laughs> 
Isn't that ocean? But, uh, Can you walk across yeah, it? Yeah, it's frozen. But oh, uh, Jesus, yeah, it's uh, it's something that I definitely want to learn more about. Mm. Um, like, how would they cook moose? Do you know? Um, I, I, a lot of it would be open fire and a lot of it's raw, you know, like the, the seal meat and whale blubber, yeah. you know, they don't like in the Arctic, they don't have a lot of wood to burn, you know, and they would have like uh, oil lamps from the oil from the blubber. But, uh, you know, a lot of the cooking is, is raw. Yeah. Steve Ranella went to Nunavak. Is that it? Nunavut. Nunavut. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. How do you say it? Nunavak Island? Nunavut. Nunavut. Yeah. Nunavut. Is that how they say I it? I think there's, yeah, the, the, nor- there's the Northwest Territories and there's Nunavut. And they were eating a lot of um, fish, frozen fish that was dipped in seal oil. Crazy. They would dip the fish in seal oil yeah. and eat it. They, they yeah. have a tremendous amount of oil and fat in their diet. Yeah. You know, which kind of makes keto sense. Keto diet. Yeah, yeah. It's super keto. <laughs> and I mean, they're they're up there in the coldest of cold climates. Yeah. One of the things we do that's kind of cool is uh, uh, I know the native, uh, the indigenous cultures would, would make cedar tea. And it's, it's full of... Uh, um, uh, vitamin C and minerals and nutrients, um, but we we do a cedar uh, sorbet. So we boil cedar leaves and then I just add sugar and make it into like an ice. So it's a frozen kind of sorbet. Wow, which is really cool. And it's it's like uh, when you eat it, it's like the forest in your mouth. It's really Whoa. really neat. And then uh, where do you get the cedar from? We d- we just go into the woods and cut it down. And we, no we bring shit. that into the restaurant. There's all kinds of cool stuff that we do that we you know because. I go up, I try and be in nature a couple times a week um, and I'll go and, you know, forage for all this stuff and bring it into antler. Uh, another way we, we use the cedar is in a cocktail. We do a cedar gin sour. So we infuse, oh, wow. we infuse the gin with, uh, with cedar leaves for like a week. And then uh, we shake that with some simple syrup and Damn, egg dude, white. you make me hungry. Yeah. So <laughs> when you, um, it's interesting that when you go to the woods to forage for uh, plant life, it's totally legal. Yeah. You could sell it. Yeah. But if you forage for animal life, you can't yeah. do that. I think that is because of market hunting that really decimated most of the population of North yeah. American game animals in yeah. the 1800s and early into the 1900s. Like mo- most people associate that with the death of the buffalo. Yeah. That the, uh, and it makes sense. And I think know. I think if there there are ways to do it where it could be controlled, I don't think I could hunt enough meat for the for the restaurant you know right. but um, 45 seats 45 seats but you know right. what i i, I do night. think i do think that you know I, I think it's people's right to be able to eat wild meat i think that as a human being you have the right to try that and if you're not a hunter if you don't know how to go do it you have the right to at least try it um and i do know in actually newfoundland um they're allowed to serve wild game and the hunter has to go and get a permit uh, to sell, and then he has to bring it to a butcher that has a permit to process it and expect it, and then that butcher can then sell it to a restaurant. Oh, well, that makes sense. Yeah, and it's it's controlled, and like I don't want to decimate the population. I don't want to hurt uh, anything. Is that um, the way to say it though? Newfoundland. Newfoundland. Yeah, I think it's yeah. Newfoundland. Newfoundland. I think if you call it Newfoundland, it's like calling <laughs> Chicago Chicago. They get pissed at you. Like, you, like you're a fucking a, fake Canadian. I have an aunt from there. Yeah. Take off, eh? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't want market hunting of wild game. And no. it's because I love wild animals. I mean, 100%. It, again. Well, why do you eat them then? Yeah, how do you love an animal? How do you love yeah. an animal? Because yeah. they have to. Yeah, well, I just think it's very complex. Mm-hmm. That's what I think. I think just staying alive, being a human is very complex. And I think we have very simplistic ways of looking at it. Yeah. I also think that it's entirely possible that plants are communicating with each other and they have a level of intelligence that we don't totally understand. That's and that's cool. supported by data. Yeah. That's supported by more and more research every day. They're, they're finding out that 
plants have some interconnected network of communication with each other and that they recognize when they're being eaten and they, they change their flavor profile to make themselves taste terrible to animals that are eating them. They, there's some communication between them, and they're some sort of a primitive life form that many argue are far more complex than things that vegans won't eat, like mollusks. Like mollusks, although we think of them as animals, they're the simplest, dumbest fucking things on earth. Vice just did an article that uh, questioning whether mollusks were vegan. I thought it was kind yeah, of funny. Yeah, they should be. <laughs> I think for health purposes, people yeah. that are vegans, like, hey man, they're they're sustainable. I mean, yeah. you could farm them. You could and they you have can a eat cleaning them. property too. I've, I've yeah. watched something that they were using mussels to clean up ocean beaches and yes. filter the yeah. water and uh, fast. And mushrooms too apparently are very cleansing. They're they're trying to find ways to use mushrooms to clean kind of oil spills and you know, really yeah. screwed up environmental things. People should eat mollusks. They really should. And they should also eat eggs. Eat eggs, folks. Just eat them <laughs> from ethical animals. And I'm just saying this just as a person who values health. Yeah. And a person who's, I mean, I I put my body through a lot. My body has to, it has to perform and it has my whole life. So I'm very, very concerned with nutrition and I'm very aware of the impact nutrition has on physical performance. And I think eggs are gigantic. They're so goddamn good for your health. Mm -hmm. And this idea that somehow or another you're doing something cruel. My chickens are my friends. You see it from that video. That's yeah. proof in the pudding. They're yeah. not scared of me at all. <laughs> They're running around with you. They're running around with me. Yeah. And I eat their eggs. And those and eggs are good for you. And I know everybody can't do that. But yes. you can get these kind no, of totally. pasture-raised eggs. And you vote with your dollars that you're spending. You know, yes. and if you go to the store and you buy organic eggs and you buy the healthier version, yes, you're paying an extra buck or two bucks, or whatever it is. But crack open an egg from like the mass-produced place and you crack open an egg from the organic place one is like the organic ones are like bright orange yeah. and like super dark and even the yolk is like really thick yep. um, and then the other one it's like pale and runny yellow. and like yellow and you, you crack them and the yolks break sometimes and they're just like it's garbage and yeah. who knows what's in them and what conditions those chickens are living in a lot of times terrible conditions yeah. I think Whoever started off, I mean I guess it's just economics right and you give people the option to make the most amount of money and not have to account for ethics or cruelty standards or whatever you know whatever issues were in place that allowed factory farms to materialize that's one of the worst worst pieces of evidence about the cruelty of human beings yeah. it's one of the worst it's horrific i mean and it's it's something that i think we should really collectively do something about. And Absolutely. I think it's one of the, the things that really ramps up the the, the anger on the, the side of the animal rights activists and the side of the vegans. I get it. I get it. But to go after someone like you is, in my opinion, so incredibly misguided. Yeah. And it's why I asked you to come on, because I thought it was, it was so frustrating. And watching you carve that venison up in front of those people, <laughs> what were they screaming at you? Murderer. Murderer. <laughs> Murderer. That's not true. Um, yeah. That's like saying, you know, it's just, it's like saying you're, you're a thief because you cut grass. <laughs> you know, like it's, it's not, no, it's not, it's not murder. It's, it's killing animals. Well, even, even the video, someone's walking by and they're like, they're saying they're murderers. And she's like, they're murdering people. And they're like, no, they're murdering animals. They kind of laugh. <laughs> A lot of those people are sad. Like a lot of like what you're dealing with with these animal rights activists is that they're they're so 
engrossed in this struggle and it's the part of their their daily existence and they're they're angry and sad there's one crazy video where this lady goes into this restaurant and she starts yelling in front of everybody about her friend and this this beautiful creature that just wants to live and it's a chicken she's talking about a chicken and they're like my friend the chicken was killed and it's like what whoa and everybody in the restaurant is like what the fuck i've seen these videos and like they'll storm a restaurant so there'll be like 50 people they go and like occupy a steakhouse hey, here's this crazy lady <laughs> oh god here we go she was very abused for her entire life. She was terrified. She has a very determined look in her eyes wherever she goes. And she was hurt and abused her entire life because of this establishment and because of establishments like it. She was locked away. She was hidden. She had nobody there for her. She was crying. She was scared every single moment. Look at the maitre d. What? And because her my usefulness had run out, yeah, my girl she was playing the background. Someone was going to murder her. Someone's going to murder her. Smiling, and I can see you laughing, but to her this is not. I can funny. see you smiling, laughing. At least, at least, they're, not, think, at least they're not busy. Yeah, humans, that's true. That's such a restaurant <laughs> way of thinking. She wouldn't be with me right now. She would be gone. She, she Just go, like keep it going. Her sisters. Just like her sisters. Just like everybody who we left behind. Where's the chicken part? Come soon. They just wanted to live too. Where is this? And they deserve their oh, lives. Crazy town. And right now their eggs and their disrupt and their speciesism. Plates inside this restaurant. Uh oh. And that is so unfair to them. It's unfair to those mice. Snow. Oh. Her, and every time you snow. see someone eating somebody else's eggs or somebody else's oh, body, you're going to remember her name. Her name is Snow. She's a beautiful little girl. She's a mouse murderer. This isn't food. It's not it's food? It's violence. Now here they sing it together. Look at they all get together with signs. Oh my god. Look at this. It's, it's not food. It's violence. <laughs> Please think of her name. Okay, cut it short. Oh my see, god. You should see the way your cunt little bird snow fucks up a worm, you crazy bitch. <laughs> fucks up mice. Throw a mouse in the cage. No snow, only grain. Oh, this Snow's guy's like, amazing. Fuck you, that guy's funny. This guy's amazing. So yeah, there's like, you know, I get that there's there's protesting and it's like, it's it's our fundamental right to protest and to have freedom of speech and have these things, but that's not it's protesting. Not, that's not disrupting place. a business. Yeah, there's not. It's not the place for it. That's if, harassment. Look, if you the best place for something like that is really what we just saw a video. Yeah. Make make a video about your thoughts. Yeah. You know, if you, I mean, if you, they honestly think that what you're doing is wrong. Like this is what something like YouTube is for. Yeah. Make a video where you state your case. Or come and talk to me. And, all right. They didn't even come and talk to me. They well, just showed right. up at my restaurant with signs. But at least with a video, you, you leave the comments open and then people debate. They yeah. decide whether or not they agree or disagree. Are you fucking crazy asshole? Let that snow loose. Let, <laughs> let, watch what she does. Watch what she does to every fucking bug she finds. She's a murderer. She's not, she's not a vegetarian. Your fucking chicken's not a vegetarian. No. It's just not. You know, people like vegetarian fed. Well, then you got a sick chicken because that's not what they're supposed to eat. Yeah. Same like cats. Cats need meat. You can't yeah. feed a cat a vegan diet. Well, you can. It's one of my bits. I have a bit about it. Do you really? Fucking okay. hilarious. <laughs> because of something that I found online when someone was angry at me. 
when someone was angry at me, I went to her page and she, one of the things said hashtag vegan cat. And I went, oh Jesus! I and think I went I, down. I a heard that hole. was illegal. It like should animal be. Animal rights people it will come and should be. take your cat. We'll talk about that later. I don't want to do my bit. I'm doing it on a comedy special soon. But the um, the the problem with this is that, as we said before, it becomes like a contest. Mm-hmm. It becomes like a, like a battleground. Yeah, that's my concern. It's like, how does this end? Yeah, how do we bridge the gap? How do we get people like? How do they stop fucking with you? Uh, I have no idea. They, well, their their thing is they want us to put a sign in our yeah. window that says, "Explain that that uh, you know we're mistreating animals and animal lives are their right." And they say, if, you know, this extortion. If we put this sign in our window, they're going to go away. Well. We're not doing anything wrong. You know, nothing we're doing is illegal. We're not infringing on anyone's rights. Have you um, talked to them out at all? Have you gone outside? So, no. Uh, we had one of our managers go outside, and they um, they just screamed at her. They, they, what they, they scream? It wasn't the time. I think just murderer. What about snow? Yeah. What, what about, what about my little snow? girl? So, you know, we, we did send an email trying to – we invited them to go foraging with us. Oh. Uh, and we talked about our different ideolog- uh, ideologies and how, you know, they're, they're really far apart, but maybe we can come to s- some kind of understanding and – and, uh, you know, at the time they didn't respond, they didn't respond for a while. And, you know, now I don't, I don't think, um, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think that anything good would come of that meeting at this point. So, so what do you do? How's business by the way? Um, business has always been good for us. We were, we were very lucky. Um, well, it right, sounds like you have a great restaurant. I mean, I'm sure that's thank you. part of it. Thank you. But we, we've, we've had some international recognition, um, We've I've I've done a lot of traveling the last year. I've been to five continents in the last year. Uh, two of them cooking. Uh, I went to Abu Dhabi with. Uh, there's a company called IMG. If you know them, they own the o- UFC now. Mm-hmm. Um, they run. The, they have a culinary department, and they they run these festivals called Taste. Huh. Um, and our first year opening, we we were part of this Taste festival, and uh, I, I didn't even know there was a competition going on. These people came by, and they were like, "Oh, we're, we're judging this competition, and we want to try your food." And I was like, well, "I think these, these people are trying to get some free food out of me." <laughs> <laughs> they were like, uh, yeah, you can win a trip to Abu Dhabi. And I was like, oh, okay, whatever. And we actually won. And they sent me to Abu Dhabi to, uh, to compete against 11 other chefs from around the world. Uh, and it was amazing. It was incredible. Um, and then from there, uh, I think six, six or eight months later, there was this festival in uh, Australia. So they brought me to Australia to, uh, to cook uh, in Western Australia at this uh, event called the Gourmet Escape. Uh, really, really cool event, and it was down the road from a deer farm, and we were uh, putting on a lunch and dinner for 200 people, so we actually roasted two whole deer asado style over open fire. Whoa. Uh, and Where'd then, you do that? Uh, right in the woods. It was incredible. Wow. Yeah, there's photos on our, my Instagram or in the Antler Kitchen bar dot, uh, or at Antler Kitchen bar on Instagram. There's photos of this uh, this asado Deer. And it, was, it was super, super, super cool. What does cool. that mean, so, asado? Asado is, uh, I think it's the Argentinian cooking style, and it's it's a whole uh, animal that's uh, kind of split down the middle and kind of like flayed there across. Is. Yeah, there it Whoa. is. Whoa. And it, it's really cool. So pig is probably the best one to do it with because of the fat content. Uh, deer and lamb and stuff like that, uh, you kind of have to baste it to keep it moist. How do you regulate temperature when it comes to something like this? Just by Just stacking by, like, up the yeah, wood? Stacking up the wood and kind of how, how far it's leaning on How do you know like how that? to do it? Just practice, just playing around, having fun. It just lo- low and slow. Have kind you of done this before many times? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So we do it at the restaurant. I do it in my backyard a lot. I actually did it for my wedding. Uh, we did two pigs for my wedding. Dude. I'm like poking the fire in my suit. That's so graphic. It's great. Yeah. That got a lot of hate. There was a bunch of hate um, on that. Um, but it's food, you know, and it, yeah. like people want to disconnect themselves from where it's coming from. 
Um, but anyway, back to your question. You know, business has always been good, and business is business. There's good days and bad days. You know, right now there's a lot of attention on Antler, a lot of media of attention on Antler. So uh, we're you know we're a little bit busier than normal right now. Get ready um, after yeah. this podcast. <laughs> it's gonna get crazy. It's gonna be nuts down there, and there's gonna be um, a bunch of people on your side too. Yeah, and hopefully, hopefully nothing bad happens. Like yeah. people don't get into anything physical or no. even start shouting at each other. Yeah, but, but that that the shouting stuff was happening. Um, but uh, but yeah, hopefully you know this this will kind of all smooth out and people can learn to to get it to get along and live together yeah well it doesn't seem like that's what they want though it seems like what they want is for you to bend their demands i mean that's like what a lot of this is when it comes to change you know when it comes to people wanting change they want you to change yeah they and they want their right and they want you to admit you're wrong and this is this is a real problem real problem with something that's complex yeah and the funny thing was like we've had vegan and vegetarian items on our menu since 2015 when we opened and so i think it was like the second or third week they came we thought okay we're gonna we're gonna feature one of our vegan dishes on the sign and hopefully like that makes them happy and so we we feature one of our vegan dishes on the sign and then we saw from their online post that they they thought that we made their posts where we made them change a meat dish to a vegan dish we have to keep pushing them and yeah. it was so frustrating. Like, no, you guys just don't know who we are. Well, that's exactly what I'm talking about. It becomes a contest or yeah. a battleground, an ideological battleground. Yeah. That this this thought that they're making you change. They want you to change. You know? I mean, I, I've seen, I saw a video once where people were mad at me, too. And they were like, he's listening, so he's open to change. And I was like, Look, no, no, like, I'm listening because I want to hear your perspective. Like, you're not right. Like, and I'm not right. Yeah. It's like we have our own perspectives, yeah. and I'm not going to change. Uh, if I change, it's because of the evidence and because of thinking and careful consideration. And I've done that. I've done a lot of thinking. Yeah. I've done a lot of careful, careful consideration, and that's what led me to becoming a hunter in the first place. Yeah. What yeah, you guys? How, how did you start hunting? Steve Renella took okay. me out. I, I had that's been cool. thinking about it for a long time, and the main reason I've been thinking about it was because of those. PETA videos, right. those fucking horrific factory farming videos. I was like, yeah. I don't want to eat that. I don't want, yeah. I want to be a part of this. I yeah. want to figure out how to not. So I started buying grass-fed meat, and I tried to you know, figure yeah. out a way to get around it. And cool. I really started getting very, very interested in hunting. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I didn't know how to start. I didn't know mm-hmm. where to start. And um, we were filming a Fear Factor episode at Tone Ranch. So it's this 270,000-acre ranch in the middle of the country. Wow. Middle of the state, rather. And um, they uh, were saying that they have uh, wild pigs there, and they would teach you how. And, they would, and so okay. that, that was something that I had considered yeah. before I met Renella. Yeah. And when I met Renella, he took me on a hunt for his TV show, and I yeah. shot a mule deer, and we ate it that night over the fire. And I said, "That's it. It's I'm amazing. a hunter." Yeah. I'm like, "That's it." The cool, the cool part about hunting is uh, nothing goes to waste. So right. I take, I take the hides to a guy to have them tanned. So I've, I actually made a knife roll out of one of the hides. I have an apron out of one of the hides. Oh, wow. uh, my wedding ring has antler in it. Um, yeah, that's pretty cool. I'm proud of that one. That's crazy. Um, and yeah, and I use all the bones to make a stock. And then when I, you know, a lot of the cuts, uh, and one of the reasons I, I want to write this book is to teach hunters how to use those tough cuts. One of my favorite parts of, uh, of the deer and, and different animals is the neck. And the neck has got all this really super flavorful kind of gelatinous meat kind of in between the cartilage and stuff like that. Uh, and you make a stew with that stuff and it is unbelievably tasty. Mm. Um, and you know, I think, uh, and a lot of guys, when they go hunting, they kind of breast out the birds and they leave the little legs and they don't really know that, you know, how to cook the legs of a turkey or a duck. And, um, so that's one of the reasons why I want to write this book and to really educate people how to use those tougher cuts that, you know, can be kind of tricky to cook. 
Rinella has a couple of good books on that, and one of the things that he's really into is making shanks and yes. asabuco. Out so of good. Them. Brazing, so things. good, yeah, yeah, and yeah. he's also, uh, you know, a big advocate of not wasting anything. That's mm-hmm. why he's into organ meat, loves yeah. liver, and we ate liver had, over uh, the fire that night. Oh, so good! I had uh, turkey feathers in my uh, little boutonniere on my wedding day from a turkey. Oh, yeah. Look at you! Yeah, it was neat. It was really cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's one of the reasons why it's so kind of crazy that you're the guy that they picked on, and not the butcher shop across the street, or yeah. not, you know, some burger joint down the street that's getting factory farmed meat is yeah. you you do have a respect and appreciation for the wildlife but that this ideological battleground battleground on their side it doesn't leave any room for for giving in mm-hmm. there's no room for reason it's just you're either an animal murderer or you're the, the the most amazing person ever because you're vegan go vegan you know it's yeah. it's 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 a really it's a new thing in terms of first world problems and first world countries. I mean, people have been eating vegetarian dishes forever, mm-hmm. but in terms of like being ideologically rabid about your, you know, your position, this yeah. is, this is very new. It's within the last couple of decades. Yeah. It's uh it's unfortunate because we're getting, you know, we've had a lot of support uh, from our, our community and Canada and the international community. And we're actually getting support from other vegans and vegetarian people writing to us and saying, like, hey, people. yeah, the saying like, Hey, these aren't our beliefs. We're really sorry what you're going through. Um, you know, you have our support and it's, uh, some of our customers are actually vegan and they come for our, like vegetarian risotto and like mushroom risotto that they know are like, you know, really cool wild mushrooms that you can't buy in the store. So yeah. it's, uh, you know, it is unfortunate and it is kind of, it's kind of sad, but, uh, you know, we're, we're just going to continue, you know, being who we are and hopefully that, uh, you know, like none of them have actually come in for dinner, you know, like, of course they're not going to, you're no. carving up deer in the front window, man. <laughs> <laughs> you fucking murderer. <laughs> Um, so there's, you're right in the middle of this right now, which is yeah. kind of interesting to talk to us about. This is not like after the fact, it's yeah. all going down right still now. still going on They're They're, you know, they're coming back weekly. Um, but it's, it's kind of, at this point, it's like dinner and a show. Like people want to see it. People are oh. re- requesting the win at window table. And- well, guess what? Fans of this podcast, they're going <laughs> to want a front row seat. <laughs> it's going to be, these are, there's a lot of freaks out there listening to this that are going to want to be there for the freak show. And, <laughs> Well, Toronto, it's uh, it's only about an hour and a half drive from uh, from Buffalo at the border, so it's uh, make it across, you fucks. Yeah, take a flight Come if visit. you're into the cold. Um, <laughs> is there anything else you'd like to tell people? Like, what is your website? How can people go and check it out? I mean, yeah, you so your- uh, antlerkitchenbar.com uh, is 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 the website. There it is. Um, Pull the, that. Scroll down, Jamie, so you can see a look at some of that yummy murder. That so that deer dish. Whoa, oh, dude. that was cool. Yeah. Yeah. You put a skull on the table with all that so stuff. So that that platter, that charcuterie platter, is all the meat from that deer. Wow. Uh, and and the terrine on the side, the little square piece, was actually meat from that skull. So I braised that skull. Uh, turned the meat into a terrine from the tongue and the cheek, and then served. That was actually at the game dinner that the newspaper did. When are you heading back to Toronto? Uh, Friday. So I'm here visiting with family and then I'm Do you have I'm a fr- do you have access to a freezer? Yes. I have uh, two commercial freezers in the back. I want to give you some elk. Oh dude, that is amazing. From, Thank you. From that elk. Thank right you there. so much. That's uh that's an honor, man. I'll, oh, I'll cool. cook it with my dad this week. Please do and yeah, take take you. pictures and Thank I'll you. put it up on Instagram. 100% man. Oh, awesome. beautiful. I love Sweet. it. I love it. All Sweet. right. So yeah, Antler Kitchen, uh antlerkitchenbar.com at the Hunter Chef, uh at Antler Kitchen Bar, all that kind of stuff you can find. And me. what is your Instagram? My Instagram is at the Hunter Chef. At the Hunter Chef. Yeah. Okay. 
Thanks, man. It was a lot yeah. of fun. I Thank really appreciate so it. And I hope this all works out. And all angry vegans, please. <laughs> Just, I, I, I know where you're coming from, but you, you really, this is the wrong fight. It really is. There's, the battle is factory farming. That's the real battleground. And this is the wrong, this is like the most ethical version of what you're opposing. And uh, I think there's, there's, a, there's a healthy, comfortable middle ground for the 99% that aren't fucking idiots. I really do. And I hope we can find it. Thank you. All right, fuckers. <laughs> Be nice to each other. Bye. Bye.